Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Hope Sessions podcast with me, Jerry D. Every Monday for the next couple of months, we're going to be diving into the Word of God and discovering some of the incredible truths that are inside it. And I believe that as we begin to discover the power inside the Word, that it will greatly inspire, encourage, and impact our journey of faith as we continue to trust God in our daily lives. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to it from. This greatly helps to spread the message about the podcast and also encourage other people to check it out for themselves. Don't forget the hope is to life as oxygen is to the body. The message is simple. But also don't forget to enjoy the show. Take care. God bless. So I want to ask you a question. And I've asked myself this question a few times in preparation for this episode specifically. Have you ever felt helpless? Maybe you, you didn't have enough strength to make it through a particular difficult battle or trial or situation that you were facing. You didn't have the finances or you couldn't offer someone much help or encouragement during a difficult time. And I say all that to say that because I want to, I want to, I suppose, go back in time with you guys for a second. When I finished school back in 2013, I took a year out because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I done what was called um, a PLC course. And I done a course uh, called Sports and Recreation, Recreational Studies, sorry. And, you know, part of this course was obviously the gym and different sporting activities. But there was an aspect of this course where we had to swim and there was an option whether you wanted to swim every Tuesday or, you know, you could do lifeguard training while the rest of them were swimming. I said, grand job anyway, I'll, I'll do the lifeguarding. It'd be a great qualification to have to be able to save someone if they're drowning God forbid, you know, and anyway, grand job was swimming away. And then that summer after I, I almost completed my lifeguard training, I think I had a couple more weeks left to do before my exam. Um, and I went on a missions trip with my church called Mission Ireland, which is basically a, a week where a group of teenagers from around the country get together and travel Ireland, different counties, and do street evangelism through preaching the gospel, music, dramas, hip-hop, rap, spoken word, and all that stuff. And one evening, anyway, we had the evening off just to kind of relax and that. So we decided we were going to go to a beach in Cork. I believe it was Rocky Bay Beach. I may be wrong, but if I am, I apologize um, in advance, right? Um, so we swam out anyway. We got to the beach and we swam out to what was like a ledge on the water, you know, like a boardwalk almost, a bit of a small one, probably about a five-minute swim from the shoreline five minutes and it didn't seem too long anyway on the swim out but it was a different ball game on the way back as you'll hear in a second swam out we got onto the boardwalk and we jumping and flipping and throwing each other off and being lads you know and just just having a great time and i don't know if you know anything about swimming but swimming can be quite exhausting on your arms and just your overall stamina levels if you're not fit like i wasn't clearly at the time and we jumped back in and we decided to swim back because it started to rain quite heavily and, and our bus driver was kind of letting us know that he was leaving in the next 10 minutes or so. So we jumped in and we were swimming back. And I, and I, I noticed like an object in the water moving quite quickly. And I could see the shadow and it, it got me quite worried actually. And then a second later, a seal. Now... I say this because sometimes you may have seen videos of seals where they look so cute and adorable and friendly and all this sort of stuff. But the seal I met, I believe he was the, the godfather of all seals. And I say that because his head was humongous. He was a massive seal. 
like one of those old seals who have like the beard. But he was one of those. He popped his head up at the water and he stayed there for two seconds. And I, I just, I, I can't explain the level of panic that overcame me in those moments. We decided we had to swim back quickly. Obviously, we panicked. I panicked more than them. And because I panicked, I couldn't get my breathing levels right. And I, and for a moment, I actually forgot how to swim. So I started to go under the water. And my brother, Danny, and, and another guy had to actually go down under the water and essentially rescue me because I was going underneath and I wasn't able to come back to the surface. And they had to basically swim me back to shore. And I was just kind of floating on the way back. And on the float back, you see the seal popping up in several locations. But I instantly thought as soon as that seal went down under the water, he was coming from my legs or my body next. And I actually thought that that was going to be the death of me. And for some of you, that may, that may be funny. It's funny for me now because I can look back in hindsight and laugh. But at the moment, I felt so helpless. So I felt so useless because I, I was the lifeguard in training to add to, add to all that, you know, and... The reason why I use that as a story to set up today is because we're going to um, look at a passage of scripture today, and the title of my message is Without Hope, But Then Jesus Enters. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. I'll read it, and it says the following in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something else may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. And I love this. I was reading from the NLT version, but um, when I was looking at the King James version specifically, the word for weakness or sick people is actually called impotent. So I love the fact that it says a great multitude of impotent folk, which is obviously Shakespearean language. We, we don't use words like folk or impotent or even multitude. Most of the time, we don't use those sort of words in today's language. And maybe you're asking, Jerry, that's great. But what does the word impotent mean? And I'm actually delighted that you may be even thinking of that question, because impotent means a couple of the following things. Someone without strength someone unable to better themselves, someone unable to do anything for themselves. And I love that because today we've just read in a passage of scripture about a story of an impotent man meeting an omnipotent man, Jesus, the one who is all-powerful. A man who is powerless meeting the all-powerful one. 
a man without strength meeting the one who has all the strength at his disposal. A man who is totally helpless meeting the ultimate healer. And I have a quote that I want to read. It says the following. God helps those who help themselves. Have you ever heard of that one before? Yeah, just to make it clear, it's not in the Bible. It was written by Ben Franklin in 1757. And I want to say to that quote, God helps those who help themselves. It ain't wrong. God helps those who can't help themselves. Those who are at the end of themselves. And do you know what I love? So let's, let, let's get into it. And we're just going to begin to break down a couple of the verses and, and explore some of the stuff that's being talked about in this passage, right? In verse two, it talks about a place called Bethesda. Bethesda is a real place. And in the 19th century, they, um, they started to do an, an excavation of this area in particular. And it was confirmed in 1964 by an archaeologist called Conrad Schick during an excavation that this place exists. The five porches exist. The, the underwater stream that would have provided water to this place exists. And what I love about Bethesda, all these names in the Bible, they all have particular meanings. And Bethesda means house of mercy. And it was anything but that by the time Jesus arrived. In fact, it, before Jesus came, you could liken it to be, being called the house of misery. And, and I love it because we, we can often be blind, paralyzed, and lame in certain areas of our lives until we invite Jesus in, right? And here's something here that, that might, might offend some people, but that's okay. It's God's word. It's not, it's not supposed to always be fluffy, fluffy. In fact, I don't think it's fluffy, fluffy about anything. It's the, it's the real, the raw, and the honesty that I love about the, the word of God. Misery loves company. Yes, I'm going to say that again. Misery loves company. People often gather around like-minded people who have issues like pain, rejection, etc. But listen to me. Comfortability can cause us to become so conditioned to our circumstances which can blind us to seeing beyond our issues. Let me say that again. Comfortability can cause us to become so conditioned to our circumstances which can blind us to seeing beyond our issues. And I imagine these people gathering at the pool, right? And they're just, every day they're just talking to the same people about the same problems. And while they're doing this, they're becoming even further imprisoned to this identity. And I wonder, were they just friends until the water stirs? I imagine, because the water didn't stir too often, but I imagine the anticipation of waiting for the water to stir. And when it does, obviously, because every time someone came in, one person got healed. No matter how many people jumped into the pool, it was the first person that came. So really, it's, it's a false hope because people with issues want acceptance instead of change. People with issues want to be comforted instead of challenged. And in verse four, I don't know if you've been following along, but verse four is not in my Bible because it's believed that the Greek God called Asclepius would stir the pool, you know, and, and this pool brought a false hope 
to people because, like I said, only one person supposedly got healed. Imagine the disappointment. Imagine being so hopeful, though, of that day that, oh, if I was just to get in the pool first, I would get healing. I would get my life back. I wouldn't have to be here every day. And, and then being the second in the pool and not getting the healing. Do you know, it's, 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 it's not something to be taken lightly. And I'm so thankful that the gospel hope, the gospel truth is something entirely different. And I'm Irish. Well, sorry, let me rephrase that. I'm British, but I've been living in Ireland since I was seven. So I'm now 26. So that's 19 years. So basically, I'm Irish. I've been living here for 19 years. And there's one thing I know about Ireland. It is full of spiritual beliefs. Spirituality, religion, spiritual practices. You know, even my mom, before she got wonderfully saved, she would go to tarot card readings, mediums, and, and all this, just trying to find hope, meaning, comfort in the midst of life. You know, and, and even in Ireland, there's a, a lot of tattoos are, are quite a big uh, part of our culture, in, in Ireland especially anyway. Um, and loads of people have tattoos, a lot of religious tattoos. And I remember I was having a conversation with someone one day and, I was wearing a T-shirt so they could see the tattoos on my arm and we just began to talk about the tattoos. What did they mean? What significance did they have? What's the purpose behind them? And did I plan to have any more or get any more? And this person had a tattoo of on the back of their neck of Jesus on the cross with the the, the beggar on one side and the thief on the cross on the other side. Um, I said to him, I said, okay, it's a nice tattoo. It, it actually was. And I said to him, but, but what does that, mean to you is it just a tattoo does it have any uh i suppose memory or any any meaning in your life and he said no it's just a nice tattoo and i challenged him i said okay i said so you basically spent three or four hundred euro to get a tattoo on your body that has no implications to you but i want i want you to know that that man on the cross died for your sins that man on the cross came from heaven to earth to live the life you should have lived and to die the death you should have died for your sins and, and he has paid the price to make a way for you to have a relationship with him. And I could clearly tell in this moment that this man was getting quite uncomfortable. So I just decided to, to leave him with that nugget, I suppose. And, and it's just, it's, it's mad to think that, that you, you would waste money to get something that has no bearing on your life. You know, in Ireland, especially, there's a place called Knock, where apparently Mary is supposed to visit uh, in the clouds. Apparently it's been known from time to time when the sun will burst through the clouds at a certain point in the day, that it looks as if Mary is appearing on the clouds. And also there's another place in Ireland called Crow Patrick, where it's like a pilgrimage walk, where people will walk up this mountain. I believe it's barefoot. I might be wrong, but I believe it is barefoot to do a pilgrimage. But I want to say this to you in light of the examples that I've named to you. Jesus climbed the only hill worth talking about. And he's not even asking you to climb that hill. He climbed it once and once and for all so that you would surrender at that hill, that you wouldn't have to work your way up that hill because one person already did. And this man, you know, in verse five, it says that one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. How frustrating was it for this man? 38 years with this ailment, you know, and I want to say this to you, it was long enough that he has given up hope that anything could change. And, and I was thinking 38 years, how does that work out in days? So I've done some quick maths. 
it works out at 13,870 days. Day after day, after day, after day, after day, going back to the same pool with the same hope being let down again and again and again and again. And as I said, there was, you know, there was a lot of mysticism believing that there was the Greek gods or an angel would come down and stir the pool. But in fact, there was underwater springs that caused this pool to, do, to bubble up from time to time when there would be a sudden gush from the rivers or the streams leading up into this place. Jesus came to a place of false hope with grace and healing to show that healing is in a person and not in a place. And you know what I love about this passage? This man wasn't even searching for Jesus. But Jesus was searching for him. And then Jesus poses a question. And this question can seem quite insensitive. Would you like to be made well? And the reason why Jesus asks this question is, not every sick person wants to be healed. Not only was this man's body fading away, but also so was his heart. Maybe his self-pity was growing on him. And you also need to understand the beggars back in these days, they actually made really good money. So if this man was to get healed, which he does, and we thank God for the healing that took place, but he was essentially out of a job. The money he made from begging wasn't going to be his income anymore, so therefore he would have to go and get a job and lose the income that he was making. But then his response in verse 7 is, I can't, sir. In other words, I want to, but I can't. I've tried. I've done everything I know how. I have no one to help me. I have given up. I no longer have hope. He was waiting for the moving of the water, not even knowing that living water was coming towards him. We couldn't, he, this man couldn't get to the water, so the water came to him. Hallelujah. And he doesn't know that his fate that was faded is now about to be rediscovered because he is in the presence of the, Jesus himself, who is uncontrollable, sorry, uncontainable, my apologies, indescribable and inexhaustible. And, and really, there's, 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 there's a battle happening here, and it's the man saying, I'm trying, versus Jesus saying, trust me. This man was asked to do something that, were, that he was unable to do, which was walk. But listen to me, weak attempts with God's strength equals anything as possible. There was a quote by a Christian man called George Muller. You may have known him. Fate does not operate in the realm of possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Then Jesus goes on in verse 8. Rise, pick up your mat and walk. Why pick up the mat though? So that it testifies to people of that which was holding you bound for so long is no longer holding you because you are now carrying it because Jesus is carrying you. Let me say that again. Pick up the mat so that it testifies to people of that which was holding you bound for so long is no longer holding you because you are now carrying it because Jesus is carrying you. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Because, because Jesus gives you the power to rise, he's the only one who can give you the power to walk every day and keep going. And how do I know that? Because Hebrews 12, verse 2 says the following. Looking on to Jesus, comma, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Because God always moves first. And he is still coming towards you. Are you hungry? He is still the bread of life. Are you thirsty? He is still living water. Are you in need of a well? Jesus says, I am right here. Are you sick? He is still a healer. And are you lost? He is still the way. The pool of Bethesda is an illusion. It convinces us that our life is nothing more than our circumstances. And we can end up living a as soon as life. You know, as soon as I get married, as soon as I get a house, as soon as I get a car, as soon as I make such an amount of money, then I'll start serving Jesus. No, no. Start serving Jesus now and enjoy the journey. You know, within this story, I find my story. I identify with the man. Hopeless, broken, lost, and afraid. And there are times that I have tried and done everything I know how in my own power to be made well and freed from my burdens. I've been without hope. But then Jesus enters the story. He comes to me, resurrecting my hope time and time again. And in his grace, he reminds me of the sacrifice he has already made for me. Through the work of Jesus, though I am unworthy, I am declared his beloved. Though I am broken, I am declared holy. Though I was lost, I am now declared found, a child of God. This man does not leave his mat, because his mat goes with him. His circumstances are very real, and they no longer carry him because Jesus is now carrying him. And I want you to know that God can use your past and present issues to give someone in your life a hope for the future. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. In 15 verses, Lord, of a book full of, of stories and examples, Lord, you have spoken to us today. For that, we love you. We thank you. We trust you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we would take it on board what you have spoken, that we would learn to treasure this word in our hearts as we go about our day and into a new week. We pray that you would keep us safe, you would keep us focused on you, that whatever trials we have to face this week, you have already made provision for them, and that we don't face them alone. And for that, we thank you, we love you. In the wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Hey guys, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Hope Sessions podcast with me, Jerry D. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're tuning into it from. This greatly helps to spread the word about the podcast, but also to encourage other people to check it out for themselves. Um, until next week, take care, God bless, and don't forget, hope is to life as oxygen is to the body. Take care.